This is Black Millennial Money. This is Black Millennial Money, where we talk about how you can make more money, keep more money, invest your money, and spend your money on the finer things in life, all from a Black Millennial perspective. I'm your host, Joseph Osu, and today, I'm your guest. So on this week's episode, we are talking about keeping money, and the question is, is is Bitcoin the investment we all really need to make in these uncertain times? But before we get into all of that, you know it's time for the notices. So some of you watching have yet to subscribe. You're let to like, you're let to leave a comment. Now is your opportunity, whether you're seeing my face on YouTube, hearing my voice on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of the other distribution platforms that we're on, leave a like, send it in your group chats, share it with a friend, leave a comment, tell us what you're interested in, what you'd like to hear more about, and become part of the Black Millennial Money community. Talking about community, we have a Patreon. And Patreon is a platform that allows you to support creators. So if you like what you get from Black, from Black Millennial Money and you want to help other people get some of that, you can head over to blackmillennialmoney.com, join the community, get extra access to me, to the resources that we have, and also get your dilemmas featured faster. But we'll come on to that in a second. Want to shout out one of our Patreon supporters, Dupree Gray. Dupree Gray, thank you so much for joining the community. Shout out to you. And thank you for joining on our highest tier. You're the man. You're the man. Now, talking about getting your dilemmas answered quickly, we've been trying to find a way to get these dilemmas out there. Some of them we've got on video and those are coming. But from here on out, dilemmas on a Sunday. We're going live on YouTube every Sunday at 11.30 in the morning, GMT. So that's UK time answering your dilemmas for one whole hour. So if you want to get your questions answered, if you want to hear directly from me and some of the other special guests we have on the podcast, that's the way to do it. Dilemmas on a Sunday on YouTube live at 11.30. By the time this one comes out, the first episode would have dropped the day before. So check it out, Dilemmas on a Sunday. Now, moving into the main episode, I don't need to do my guest bio. You know who I am by now. I'm the host of the podcast invested for 10 years, paid off £36,000 worth of debt, bought a new house, got a pay rise, got engaged in three years. The full story is coming. I know some of you are asking, but it's coming. On today's episode, we're talking about keeping money. And before we get all the way into that, I want to share a financial lesson because this is what we do now. Rather than doing the three things you should know about me, I want to share some of my financial lessons and learnings because they say smart people learn from their own mistakes, from their own mistakes wise people learn from other people. So it's your opportunity to learn from mine. So, as many of you know, I'm Nigerian, I've got family overseas. Many of you, wherever you're from, may have family overseas or just extended family in the UK even. And something that I found is that other people will constantly ask you for money, whether they're overseas or locally. And there's a perception that you're doing really, really well, like to the point of, he doesn't need the money, she doesn't need the money, look how well they're doing, look what they drive, look where they work, look at their job title without really understanding what life is like for you, without really knowing what your situation is. So that happens to me quite a lot. I'm one of the youngest of all my cousins. So some of my cousins are my mom's age. Like they were, they're, in, they're within four or five years because it's a big family and there's big age gaps. So some people who were 10, 20, 15 years older than me are calling me from overseas, sending me messages, friending me on Facebook, asking for support, asking for financial support. And they're my family, so I want to help. But what I've noticed is that time after time, you send money, they come and ask you for more money, and the stories get more and more elaborate. 
And sometimes the stories are genuine. And other times it's people have an idea that, oh, you live in X country, you have this job title, you have a podcast, <laughs> you must be making X, you must have so much money that what I'm asking you for is immaterial. And if you don't give it to me, it's because you're being greedy. And how I've learned to manage that and how I've learned to manage the pain of that, because that hurts. Because I have my own things to take care of. You're my elder family member. Culturally, you're supposed to be looking out for me. So how I've learned to manage that and, and the pain of it is that I now set a budget. So just like companies set a budget for their charitable donations every year, I set a budget for mine. So it used to be 10% of my take-home salary. And since I've moved into my new place, I've adjusted that while we're getting settled. And it's now down to 1%. But essentially, if anyone asks me for money, anyone has a spot of trouble, and it's within that 1% budget, and even if it's not, I give them 1%. So I'm not going to say precisely what the 1% is, but I've got a fixed amount. I'm not going to say it because everyone's going to know that they can get a certain amount from me on a regular, on a regular basis. <laughs> but essentially, that is my upper limit. If you ask me for less, you, you'll get less. If you ask me for more, you won't get any more than that 1% amount. And that's how I deal with it. And for some of you listening to this, it's maybe trickier to do because you may live with the people that are asking you for the money. And your budget may be more variable. But I would, I would ask you to be more specific about that budget. If it's 1%, make it 1%. If it's 10%, make it 10%. Don't go over that. Because one thing I've learned about life is you have to teach people how to treat you. Now, if someone, if you, if you set your own rules and then you're willing to go over them for other people, that becomes their new normal. So you say it was, it was 10%. When someone asks you for money beyond that and you give it to them, oh, so it's now, it's now 15%, it's now 20% because that's the new standard. So being mindful of how you do it and also being respectful that you are in a privileged position where you can dedicate a portion of your take-home salary to just giving. That's a powerful position to be in, and you should be grateful for that, grateful for the life that you live, and be mindful that in the way you deliver that can be very genuine, or it can come across like, oh, you're just throwing crumbs off the table. So being very, very balanced in how you do it. So that's my financial lesson for this week. Budget for giving, whether that's to family, whether that's to charity, but always budget for it. Do not let anyone pressure you into a situation you, you don't want to be in. And also, don't become a person who just throws money out and makes it seem like it doesn't mean anything. Because then it puts out negative feelings into the world towards the people you're giving to. But also, it also damages the gesture that you're trying to make from your, from your standpoint. Because giving enriches us all. So, enough of that. Time to get into the core of the episode. So, the question for this episode is, do we all need to invest in Bitcoin? Is that the investment we need to make in order to keep our money? Now, a lot of people are saying that Bitcoin is a store of value. By store of value, it means it's somewhere you can put your money into and your money will be there when you need it because the world has gone crazy. So, in this first half of the episode, I'm going to break down the number of ways that the world has gone crazy and explain how some things literally just don't make sense. So, starting off, the stock market is crazy right now. If you're particularly looking at the US stock market, in 2020, the growth of the UK stock market was sideways when unemployment was through the roof, when the whole world basically stopped. So the UK stock market was basically unaffected. So it didn't go up, it didn't go down, it sort of stayed where it was. After the major drop in March, it just sort of leveled out. Like that doesn't make sense because none of us are working. So the stores are closing left, right, and center. People are unemployed, people are losing their homes. How is the stock market 
apparently completely unaffected by any of this stuff happening. How is it so, how is the stock market so disconnected from my high street where everything is closed? In the US, it's even worse. Stocks have gone literally through the roof. Through the roof. I saw a number today that a billionaires in the US got $3.9 trillion wealthier in 2020. How is that possible when everything has stopped? People are unemployed. Businesses are closing. Left, right, centers, restaurants, hotels, retail stores. Everything is slowing down unless you're maybe one of five or six companies where you were ready or had the good fortune of being in this position like Uber Eats or Amazon or Facebook and Google where your entire business is on the internet and all of a sudden everyone's using so much more internet. How is that possible? We now have trillion dollar companies and not just one, multiple trillion dollar companies. I barely got my head around how big a billion is. Now we've got trillions. So Apple, Amazon, and Alphabet, which is the parent company of Google, all trillion-dollar companies in a year that the world stopped. $3 trillion in three companies. Based on what? Who's buying the products? How is this making sense? How are you getting so much bigger in a time where everything seems to be going downhill for so many millions of people? In addition to that, you had this crazy GameStop situation. Now, for those of you that are unfamiliar, GameStop is the equivalent of, like, game in the UK. And they basically sell... PlayStation games, Xbox games, and things like that, but they sell the discs. And the challenge with this business is that just like Blockbuster back in the day where they used to sell tapes and DVDs, when Netflix comes out, your business disappears. With GameStop, Sony, PlayStation, Xbox, and all of these people have started selling their games digitally now, so there is no disc. The only thing you physically need to buy is the console. So their business is tanking. But a community on Reddit decided that they did. They wanted to see, they wanted to hold up this business when the major head funds, the major business and investment institutions in the world were saying this business is going to collapse. So the share price goes up 4x in like two days. And now it's a fight between this Reddit community and established investment banking and all of these people going head to head. And this is crazy. This is something that was impossible years ago. The idea of trillion-dollar companies, the stock market not reflecting the realities of the ground, Local, small groups of people attacking big business and winning for short periods of time, but still winning. Other things that have been crazy in the past couple of years, printing money, the idea of quantitative easing or stimulus checks as they've come to be known. So this is the idea of printing out more and more money and using it to bail people out. So we had this in the 2008 recession where they printed millions and billions of, of pounds, euros, dollars around the world to support failing financial institutions. Why is this dangerous? Well, if you go back in history and look at the Roman Empire, essentially, the Roman Empire collapsed. Well, one of the many reasons it collapsed is because they devalued their currency. Now, the way currencies are valued is based on supply versus demand. Now, there's a high demand for the US dollar, but there's only so much you can put out there before the value of that starts to drop. Great example of this is Supreme, where they're making t-shirts and selling them for, I don't know, $100, $100. Pounds. If they make 2 million of those t-shirts, those t-shirts are less valuable. But if they only make 100 or 1,000, those t-shirts are much more valuable because there's less of them to go around. And that leads to higher and higher prices. What happens when you print more and more money is that things you go to buy are worth less and less. So for those of us who remember back in the day when you could go to the corner shop and get a can of Coke for 50p, 
and now that same can of Coke is near one pound, it's because of inflation. It's because of increased money printing. So using the Roman Empire example, what they did is they started off with gold coins that slowly became silver coins and slowly had less and less actual valuable material in it until the money was near enough worthless. We saw this in a modern example in Zimbabwe a few years ago where people were going with rural barrels of money to pay for bread. You're seeing this in Venezuela right now where the currency is basically worthless. This is the, this is the basics of about to lead to a massive amount of economic instability where money doesn't have the value, prices are going through the roof, and individual people's salaries aren't keeping up. And many of us are already feeling the pinch of that right now. To make things worse, we've got high unemployment and uncertainty. People are on furlough. People have lost their jobs completely. How is it that in this environment where people don't know what's going to happen literally tomorrow, are we going to be in another lockdown? Is this vaccine even working? Is my employer going to disappear overnight? This is the environment we find ourselves in where there's so much out there that could go wrong and is actively going wrong and jobs are disappearing forever. There are some jobs that will never come back because some things have just gone completely online or disappeared. They've been replaced by something new. So how then do we plan? How then do we figure out what's next when everyone's a, a large number of people are unemployed? For those of us who are lucky enough to still be employed, it can change any day now. Like literally it can change any day now. What happens if the supplier that your business works with goes out of business? What happens to your role? What happens to the role of your team members? What happens to the role of your family members? So there is so much disruption out there. Add to that that we've had iconic businesses going bust. Topshop, Topshop, Top Man, the high street legend that set the trends of what fashion was for the past 20, 30 years now, on the high street, disappeared. The iconic Oxford Street store, gone, bought by ASOS. So they're going to be a completely online brand now, sold through ASOS and would eventually probably disappear. Who knows? The Topshop brand, Top Man brand may completely disappear. And in five years' time, it's just another ASOS collection. Debenhams used to be a high street darling. One of those places you went to when you started getting a little bit of money or if you were going to get your prom dress from school, for school. <laughs> you went to Debenhams. Some people went to... People used to go to Debenhams to get their first bra, to get nice underwear, to get, to get things to furnish their homes. And now Debenhams has been bought by Boohoo completely disappeared. And again, the Debenhams name might disappear. To make all of that worse, we've got super low interest rates. Usually, usually when inflation is high, when there's economic instability, the governments and central banks lower interest rates. The interest rates are basically zero now. They're like 0.1%. They can't get any lower. So when inflation is going up, unemployment is going up, business is going bust, and your interest rates are as low as they can go, where do you go from there? What happens next? So in this environment where literally things that people never thought possible are happening, how do you keep hold of your money? And people have been asking me, I, had, I received a question on Instagram about, should I invest in Bitcoin? Should I use it as a way of keeping a value of money? What should I do next? So in the second half of this episode, we're going to break down what I think you should be doing in these uncertain times to keep hold of your money and potentially see a future upside. Because 
your number one goal is not to lose any money, to protect your assets, to protect your wealth. Your second goal is to see how you could build that. So in the second half of this episode, we're going to unpack that in more detail. You may not know this, but we have a Patreon page. Patreon is a platform that makes it super easy for people to support creators. Here at Black Millennial Money, our mission is to reach millions of people around the world with life-changing financial information, and you can be part of that. Head over to patreon.com forward slash black millennial money or click the link in the description to sign up and start supporting us today. We are back in this keep money episode of black millennial money where we're talking about how can you keep your wealth? How can you protect your assets in such an uncertain time where unemployment is through the roof? The stock market doesn't represent what's happening in reality. Businesses are closing down everywhere. We have super low interest rates. So what is the point in actually saving? What can you do? This is from a user. This is from a listener question. So, if you follow us on Instagram, DM us your dilemmas. This is how we build our episode, and we're doing dilemmas on a Sunday now. So we're going live every Sunday at eleven thirty in the morning, answering your questions. So, second half of this episode, in a crazy economy, how can we keep money and build wealth? So, there's a series of questions here based on again what people have sent me over. So, the first one is. Is Bitcoin the answer? And this is my opinion. I've done my research. I've looked into it. I've thought about it. I've decided what I'm going to do in this case, and I'm going to share some of my thoughts and feelings on this. So is Bitcoin the answer? So some of you may be a little bit unfamiliar with Bitcoin, so I'm going to do a quick, quick background. If you want more information, as we always say, D-Y-O-R, do your own research. But history of Bitcoin, it was started by this person or this group of people that went by the name Satoshi Nakamoto. And started being used in 2009. Initially, no one really knew what it was, but they knew that it was limited in supply. So there'll never be more than 21 million Bitcoins in circulation. And that makes it very interesting because now, as we said in the first half, where supply is limited, demand goes up, which pushes up prices, which means potentially if you buy Bitcoin, you could see an increase in value off of what you paid for which is kind of what we've seen where people who bought Bitcoin in 2009 for like a hundred pounds or less than that. Cause the first Bitcoin transaction, the first Bitcoin transaction was used to pay for a pizza. So God knows how much those coins are now worth, but the idea that they were only worth as much as a pizza in 2009 puts it in perspective. So that's where it was created from. And it's considered to be safer than all currencies because it's decentralized. So again, that supply and demand question, where central banks can print more money, how valuable can that money be when if we increase supply, we can reduce demand and devalue an item. We devalue an item. Whereas with Bitcoin, it's limited in its amount. So can it hold its value? Maybe, maybe. So that's what Bitcoin is overall. It's a very, very top level, surface level explanation. But do your own research. There are tons and tons of videos and articles out there about Bitcoin. Now, the question is, why should you care? Is Bitcoin the place? Is Bitcoin the reason that you're going to survive the financial uncertainty? And the answer is maybe, maybe not. Because Bitcoin could be everything and it could also be nothing. The reality of it is it's too early to tell what Bitcoin is going to be. There are no real use cases for Bitcoin, as in how many people are actually going to a store and buying goods and services online or in person using Bitcoin. There are very, very few applications for it as a currency. 
when it comes to being a store of value, aka somewhere you can put your money in and your money will be protected and hold its value. So one pound in today will be one pound tomorrow. Maybe, maybe. And that makes it similar to some, to a commodity like gold or silver where people buy it to protect against inflation. So because gold will always be worth something, I know that my money will always be safe. Whereas I could keep £100 in a bank account in 2001 doesn't buy you the same thing that £100 did. Because I remember, for example, Levi's jeans used to be like £30. When they started to get expensive, they were £50. Now Levi's jeans are £70, £80 a go for the standard entry-level jeans, not the special edition ones or anything like that. Using a more rudimentary example, I used to get 20p sweets. The same Chomp, or is it a Freddo, Freddo chocolate bar? Chomp and Freddo were the ones back in the day for me. They were 10, 20p. Then they're about 50p fifty p each now. Are there penny sweets available anywhere now? And that's a measure of mo- the value of money decreasing while the value, the, the value of money decreasing, the purchasing power, the ability for you to use your money to buy something has changed over a period of time. That's what Bitcoin could potentially protect against. My approach to Bitcoin is because I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know where it's going to go up, down, sideways, or completely disappear. I'm going to use my fun money to pull a little bit into Bitcoin. And those of you may be a little bit surprised that isn't that invested. And not really, because the way I split my money based on the three circles of wealth method that we're, that you're going to be hearing more and more about, the three circles of wealth means my day-to-day is covered, my protections I'm building, and my investment pot I haven't started touching yet. But in my day-to-day pot, I have a bit for fun money. So this is where if I want to buy some new clothes, if I want to treat myself to, I don't know, an Uber Eats or something like that, it comes out of there. This is not affecting my daily life. This is my bills are paid for. I'm saving. I'm putting money to the side. And this is my day-to-day living sort of money. This is what I would be spending if I've decided to treat myself to lunch when I was commuting to work, that's where that money would come from. From that money, I'm going to take a piece of that and buy it into the Bitcoin world. Not as a real investment, but purely because I don't know what it's going to be. So it's a little bit of a gamble. I'm buying a lottery ticket called Bitcoin. I'm not putting my, my net worth into it. I'm not putting money I can't afford to live without into it. Because again, this would either pay for parking tickets or, or, or Uber Eats. That's what this money's for. So that's my approach to it. The second thing, the second question is, is property the answer? So we've covered Bitcoin. Not sure. May or may not be. Is property the answer? Now, there's two types of property. Most people will always think of residential property. Commercial property is property that businesses rent out or own for business purposes. Great examples are supermarkets, office spaces, corner shops, cinemas. That's commercial property. Commercial property is probably not the best place to invest because a lot of businesses are going online and there's too much uncertainty to know what the future of that world looks like. Businesses going out of business, businesses going online, businesses deciding, you know what, let's find a different way to work. Too much uncertainty. However, based on our episode a few weeks back where we're talking about investing, based on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if you missed that episode, go back to episode 40, 40, 39, and check that one out. 
where we're investing money, we're talking about investments and you're trying to focus on humans' basic needs when it comes to investing. What are the things that people always live, live with and need? And that's residential property. Investing in residential property, if you can get some now, it's probably going to be a very, very lucrative investment. Why? For a number of reasons, because borrowing money right now is cheap because interest rates are so low that you will struggle you will find it difficult to get an interest rate over 5% unless you've got some special circumstances, particularly for a residential mortgage. I'm not talking about a buy-to-let. I'm talking about a mortgage for you to buy and live in, a property for you to buy and live in. Because it's mortgages, they're charging less interest for it, Great, a great opportunity. But in addition to that, it's a little bit trickier to actually get into the property game. So we're starting to see a bit more of a supply and demand issue where you need more of a deposit, where you need more of an income to be able to get into the game, which is going to mean that those people who can acquire those assets are going to be better positioned long term. Now, why should you care? Inflation is only going to increase prices. So where we're devaluing currency and pushing more money out into the world, more money printing, more stimulus checks, in addition to the stimulus checks that we did in 2008 and continue to do, what happens is the value of assets is just, the price of assets is only going to go up. So some of you may remember, may remember growing up in certain parts of London or the UK or wherever you, you, you live that were considered the hood. No one way to live there. The crime was crazy and you were trying to get out your first opportunity. That was 20 years ago. Today, those places are worth millions of pounds. They're no more attractive. They're no more beautiful. They haven't been massively refurbished, but they're worth tons and tons more money. And that's primarily because of inflation. Now, if you can get in today, what's going to happen is that there's going to be a generation of people 20 years from now who are going to be struggling to buy property. But you will be one of the people that owns a large asset, one of these limited assets that there is a large market of people to buy. What does that mean? You can command higher prices. You can build your net worth. You also lock in your upside and fix your downside. Again, you get a mortgage like I did. I got a mortgage for 200 and how much? 225,000 pounds. That's the size of my mortgage. When you move out of London, you get a lot more for your money. £225,000. That's the fixed price of my mortgage. It's not going to go up other than interest, right? But the value of my property has no upper ceiling. So I've locked in the price of my, the value of my property, the amount I'm paying for it in today's money, knowing that tomorrow inflation is going to erode at that debt. So now in the future, where £2 today is worth more like five pounds in the future, that five pounds now goes to paying off my old debt, which means it will be more affordable for me to pay off my mortgage because I locked in the fixed amount. The reverse is true for people who don't buy property as quickly as they can now, that will be more expensive for them to be able to buy into that property. So this is the advantage of holding assets and being able to fix your costs on those assets. Now, my approach to property... So, as you know, I've, bought a, I've recently bought a new place with my fiancé, and the reality of it is that I bought a residential property that is always going to be desirable. I bought a three-bedroom flat in a great catchment area for schools, in a higher price, area, a higher price bracket for the area. 
The reason I was able to do that is number one, as I said earlier, because I left London. I've moved into a highly desirable area for much less money than it would have cost me in London. Where areas are, where the prices of properties are typically high and they're typically larger than the properties around them, what you find is that there's always demand for it. Because really, a three bedroom flat for a family is always going to be desirable, especially when it's near a school, especially where there is a large lake in that direction that there's water sports, there's family activities there, there's a community center there, there's all sorts of things happening in this area that are perfectly family friendly for people who want to get out of small spaces. But the price point is at the point where there is still a large market for it. Because if you're selling your home for half a million pounds, there's less people who can get a mortgage for half a million pounds, less people who have half a million pounds cash to buy it right. But around about the 200,000 mark, the 225, my property is going to go up in value for sure. But basically, in 10 years' time, this place is probably going to be worth more like 300000 The advantage of that is that it's still going to be within an affordable range for most people who want to buy. It's got a good amount of space, three double bedrooms, two bathrooms, open plan living with a garage. Lots of space. Opportunity for you to grow as a family. When, if I want to sell this in 10 years, which is the plan, I will be able to sell it quite comfortably. So when it comes to you, when you're looking at buying a property, think about how many different user groups for this property are there. Because if you buy a studio flat, no families are going to buy it. You're basically looking at single males because single women don't tend to use, don't generally tend to live in studio flats. Looking for young single men who want to buy a studio flat, and that's not really a sustainable place to go because it gets cramped very quickly. If you're looking at two-bed or three-bedroom properties, now you're starting to look at, okay, people who don't want to live in a flat, people who want a garden potentially, are looking at this opportunity. People who have small families are looking at this opportunity. People who do not want to live in a one-bedroom flat because now they have to work from home and want a designated office space will find an advantage in this one to two-bedroom, to this two to three-bedroom property. Now you've got a wider market. And if you can find somewhere where the price isn't massively outpacing salaries, because for an equivalent property in London, I would have probably paid more like 400000 if not 500000 to be in the type of area that I'm in. How many people can afford that? It's a limited market. So finding a way to acquire a residential property for yourself that meets your needs first, but also has added utility for large groups of people, will make it easier for you to build a store of wealth in your property. Now, the home you live in isn't necessarily an asset until you sell it, but you've got to be in the game to have a chance to. So the quicker you can acquire a property, whether that means leaving London or leaving whichever expensive city you're in, do it and do it fast because prices are only going to keep rising. When this when all of this money that's been printed starts making its way into the wider economy, we're going to see prices rise quite significantly for all things. The third question in the segments is, are precious metals, are precious metals the answer? Are they what I should be doing? And by precious metals, we mean gold, silver, plat- platinum. These things that we know are highly are highly valuable. They have high prices. They command high prices. They go into expensive jewelry. And they also have industrial uses. So silver is used for many things. Gold is used for many things. Platinum is used for many things. So they will always have value. 
gold and silver investing, my personal experience, right? I used to invest in silver and it was a bad idea, personally. Because the thing about silver is cheaper to buy than gold. But the price growth from silver in silver is smaller. So, for example, if you buy a silver coin at £20, which you can't right now because the prices are higher than that, but say it was £20 and it goes up 10% in value, it's now worth £22. Your value's gone up £2. You buy a gold coin, which is worth over £1,000, and it goes up 10%, you're now worth, the value is now £100 in nominal terms, right? In, in real money, it's £2 versus £100. Because the, the swings in value when it comes to gold are larger than they are in silver. It's a better store of value because it keeps up with inflation and exceeds inflation more. Silver doesn't do that. It's cheaper to buy into, but the price moves are never that significant. The highest I've seen silver go is from £20 to £45. Now, that's a £25 gain, which is great if you've got a 1,000 of these things. However, you've got one gold coin, and for example, in 2008, gold was round about 500. By 2012, it was at 1,500, so £1,000 gain in four years. Silver didn't move anywhere near that. So if I were you, and I'm talking about investing in gold or silver, I would always choose gold. Gold is more expensive to buy, and you'd have to get it in smaller quantities if you don't have a lot of money, but you will see more value from it should you ever need to liquidate it. Now, when it comes to investing in precious metals, gold specifically, why should you care? Gold has a history of being a store of value. Gold has always been a trans always been used for transactions for hundreds, thousands of years at this point. Gold has been used as a means of exchange. Why? Because it's rare, limited in supply, and everybody knows its value. The value of gold doesn't change from one country to another because it's measured on its weight and its purity levels. If you can determine its purity and determine its weight, you know how much gold is worth and will always know how much gold is worth. So that's why it holds its value. And that's why it's always been a safe haven for people to put their money to maintain their wealth. And gold is similar to Bitcoin, but the difference is gold has a track record. As I said, a thousand years of being used as a means of exchange, as a currency. We can see what gold does. And what we know is that gold never loses all of its value. It can go down in value, it can go up in value, but never loses all of its value. There is still a very real possibility that Bitcoin may not be the cryptocurrency that wins. It could literally disappear in value. Was it 2017? Bitcoin went down to less than $5,000 after being well over 20000 or around about 20000 That doesn't happen with gold. Because had you had all of your assets in Bitcoin in 2017, you would have lost 70, 75% of your wealth. Now, granted, had you been able to live with losing 75% of your wealth, today you would be up significantly. But the turmoil and uncertainty of that makes gold a better option than, gold, than Bitcoin as a store of value because you've got a track record. You know what gold does. Historical data is, no, is not an absolute fact for the future, but it's better than having no data. Better than having no sort of insight as to what this thing is going to look like. Because literally from one day to the next, we have no idea what's going to happen with Bitcoin.
Now, my approach to gold is I'm using it as a backup plan for my backup plan. So putting a little bit of money in Bitcoin because I think there's a possibility there. That's how I'm using it. There could be an opportunity there, but I'm not going to put most of my money in there. And again, it's my fun money. In my protections, though, where I'm putting some of my savings to work, this is where I'm going to actually start acquiring small amounts of gold just to give a bit of stability to my portfolio. The reason for that is I might lose my job. A Bitcoin could completely disappear, but I will always still have this gold, right? The value of the, value of the money in my bank account is depreciating every single day. Every single day. But the same isn't true for gold. So it will always be there for me. So that's why I'm using it as the backup to my backup, just in case. Now, I've covered these three topics where we've gone from investing in Bitcoin to investing in property to precious metals to keep the value of your money. This is not necessarily to be like, okay, I'm going to make 25% gain on this. No, this is to stop your val the value of your money depreciating to a point where it's no longer worth anything to you just like it was in Zimbabwe, just like it is in Venezuela, where money loses its value. Why am I doing all three? I'm doing all three because, first and foremost, the upside of Bitcoin is potentially very, very interesting. I'm doing it just to be in the, just to be in the game. You've got to be in it to win it. It has a potentially huge upside, but also a potentially huge downside. So with that, I'm only putting a small amount in. It's my fun money right? And I would advise you to take a similar approach. Be in the game, but don't be all in in the game, is my approach to that. You Don't bet your house, don't take out debt. Use the money that you would spend on Nando's, on, on getting your nails done, <laughs> to invest in Bitcoin and just see what happens. Nothing might happen, but something could happen. That's my approach to it. When it comes to property, because it's an essential human need and will always have value, not necessarily because it will always be worth a ton of money, but because people will always want to live inside. The thing about residential property is that it's a choice between living inside or living outside. And living outside does not sound particularly attractive. So in that context, there will always be a value, at least to you as a person, or to someone else who desires to be inside rather than outside, which means there will always be some money attached to residential property. Doesn't mean you can't lose money, but it means that if you can get some, you will always have something that you could liquidate in order to release cash. Now, it may not always be fun doing that, but it could provide you with a cash injection that you need. And that's my approach. I was lucky enough and worked hard enough, in my case, to pay off debt and be able to afford to buy a place in 2020 and that is my approach to this place i'm going to be here for five to ten years and it's going to be something that produces a little bit of cash in the sale that'll give me additional stability going forward as i move to a newer bigger place now when it comes to gold gold ultimately protects me against fluctuations of everything above so against bitcoin going crazy against the property market going crazy gold allows me to have a little bit of support back up to my backup plan when it comes to this, insta this instability in the market and all the crazy things that are happening. 
allows me to keep hold of some value, allows me to keep some wealth. So we come to the end of the episode, we're almost the end of the episode. And something that's really struck me about this episode is that truly when it comes to keeping money, when it comes to maintaining and protecting your wealth, protecting your income, there is nothing truly more important than planning and keeping the cash coming in wherever it comes from. So no matter what your your strategy is necessarily to deploy the money and make sure, oh yeah, am I putting a bit in Bitcoin? Am I going to get a property? Am I going to do something else? The core thing is income, cash flow. If that tap turns off, none of this matters. So as we think about keeping money, the ultimate keep money strategy, the ultimate keep money plan is keep the money coming in. How many different ways can you keep the money coming in? So that brings us to the end of this episode. In the second half, in the final part of this episode, we're going to break down the quick tips, the next steps, and also show some love to more of our Patreon supporters. If you have any questions or dilemmas that you'd like to have featured on our podcast or on our YouTube channel, go to blackmillennialmoney.com, click the contact page and send it to us. Names will be changed or kept anonymous unless you say otherwise. All right, we are back in this Keep Money episode of Black Millennial Money. We are talking about keeping money and asking the question, where should you put your money in order to maintain some value in these crazy and uncertain times to protect yourself from all of the crazy things that are happening where people are losing their jobs, losing their homes, losing their health? How can you protect yourself and keep some value in your money? So the quick tip for this episode is really about, we've heard it before, don't try and time the market. The focus should be on little and often. Keep putting some money into your assets on a progressive basis. So whether or not you fancy a bit of Bitcoin or you're trying to um, buy some gold or invest in property, put money aside consistently. So with Bitcoin, have you got £10 going in every month? With gold, have you got £20 going in every month? With your property, have you got £100 being put to the side, £1,000 being put to the side? Whatever it is, pick a number and stay consistent with it because you have no idea, no idea what the best price and the worst price to buy an investment is. You just have your best guess. But by consistently putting the money in, what you do is you get a decent average. So sometimes you might put some money in and it's high. Sometimes you might put some money in and it's low. But the key thing is that in the middle there, you're getting a relatively decent price. So stay consistent in the market. Pick a number that you can stick to. With my fund money, I'm sticking to £30 a month. I can pay £30 a month into Bitcoin. And if I lose it, it doesn't cost me, well, to be fair, I was going to say it doesn't take the t-shirt off my back, but these are £5 H&M t-shirts. So it takes six H&M t-shirts off my back, but it doesn't change my life, right? It doesn't change my life. And that's where you should approach it. Now, onto the three things everyone should do after listening to this episode to protect their wealth. The first thing is research everything I've mentioned in this episode. Get up to speed. Start to understand the way you can store value, the way you can protect your downside when it comes to money, whether that is in Bitcoin, whether it's in gold, property, or some other asset class, or some other means of protecting your income. You have to be informed. If you don't know, then you will always lose. Knowledge is power, and we know that. The second thing is look into the future. What do you think will matter in 30 years? Start building it now. Learn now and invest now because the world is changing at breakneck speed. You do not want to be caught behind. 
What can you do now to be ready for the world in 20, 30 years' time? What can you do now to protect your assets for 20, 30 years' time? Where, is the, where are the smart places for you to deploy your money for your own situation? Because some of the things I've listed here may not be relevant for some of your situations. Some of your situations, the most and a crucial thing, in fact, for everybody listening to this, the most important and crucial thing is to keep the money coming in. What is the plan? What is the strategy to keep the money coming in from multiple places? Because without that, none of this matters. There will be no money to keep. There will be no money to keep. Your biggest point of financial vulnerability, which will see you lose money and make it impossible for you to keep money, is your income source. If you don't have multiple income sources, that is the thing you need to focus on first. It doesn't matter if you're putting it into Bitcoin or or crypto this or gold that. Keep the tap running. Keep the tap running. And the best way to do that is looking into the future and seeing what's going to matter. How can you position yourself for greatness? Greatness in, in 20, 30 years' time. How can you be the, in a position to really, really capitalize on smart decisions of the past? Because there's no such thing as an overnight success. There's no such thing as an overnight billionaire. It takes years. It takes years. Overnight, overnight wealth, it, it just doesn't happen. It just doesn't. The third thing is top up your emergency funds. Boost your emergency funds for this uncertain times. So like the cash on hands that you have for emergency, if you usually do a three-month emergency fund, try push it to six months. If you've got more than that, try and add a few more months to it because we have no idea what is going to be around the corner in these massively uncertain times. If you don't have an emergency fund, prioritize getting one because your Bitcoin, your gold, your property will not help you when there is no food in the fridge. Emergency fund is the first and most important part of any keep money strategy, of any protecting your asset strategy. So in this time, you probably want to... to pile up some cash that you can access immediately should you have an emergency. So just wrapping that up, the three things we should know, the three things you should do the second you take out your headphones, do the research, get the research done, get up to speed on everything I've spoken about and more because this will turn into a rabbit, a wormhole, a wormhole of you learning and understanding more and more. Second thing is look into the future. What is going to matter? How can you position yourself for success long-term? It's not about winning this month. It's not about winning this year. How can I keep winning for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years? And finally, top up your emergency funds. Keep your cash on hand high. Because what you don't want is to be caught in a crazy situation, to have that tap of your income cut off and only have one month's worth of cash to keep the lights on. If you've got a one, if you have no emergency fund, build up to three months. If you have three months, build up to six months. If you've got six months, go to nine months. Stretch your emergency funds, push out your emergency funds to make sure they're there for you if something goes left. So that brings us to the end of the episode. It's been a hell of an episode. It's been a hell of an episode, a solo episode for me, and we're talking about keeping money. And truly, it's really had me thinking about the ways in which we could all boost value, the way with which we can all continue to grow in these uncertain times. So I want to thank you all for listening. As always, you can find us on Instagram at BMM Global, on Twitter at BMM Global Pod, on the Black Millennial Money website where you can get the show notes and links to everything we've discussed in this episode. As always, shout out to our Patreon supporters, Dupree Gray. You are the man. Thank you for showing us some love. Thank you for supporting us. And if you haven't joined our Patreon, now is your opportunity to do so. Next week, we are talking about investing money. 
So now you've kept it. Let's figure out how to invest it and make some more from it. See you next week. Thanks for listening. This is Black Millennial Money. 